Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. You join us for episode 63 here on this here podcast. What we do here is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time? This week, we'll be going to a galaxy far, far away. Long, long time ago. I probably got that the wrong way around, but we'll be talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And I'm joined by not one, but two great guests who you'll hear about very, very shortly. Um, as is always the way with this podcast, we'll be talking about this film in spoilerific detail we will be talking about who's uh, got the force who's on the dark side all the pod racing results will be spoiled for you so if you haven't seen this head on over to disney plus and watch it if you want to you've probably already seen it it's star wars isn't it <laughs> well yeah enjoy this kind of primer as well seeing as two days time is the 4th of May, May the 4th, May the 4th be with you all, uh, or May the 2nd be with you when this is going out. I could have pushed this back a couple of days, but I like to keep to the release schedule. So, here is my chat with Russell Bailey and Larry Reed, all about Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. So I guess all that's left to do is to jump in your pod racer, use the force, get some Gungans, and let's make some Coppola connections with Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Today, 
we're racing into your pod feeds to discuss 1999 Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. The film is written and directed by the one and only George Lucas. And stars Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Jake Lloyd, Ahmed Best, Frank Oz, Samuel Jackson, and features cameos from not one, but two members of the Coppola family. That is, of course, Sophia and Roman Coppola. Did join me in the Senate to discuss taxes and decide if the Coppola family bring balance to the force or are just pure members of the dark side. Returning guest and host of the Not Just For Kids podcast, Russell Bailey, and first-timer and host of Your Move Creep podcast, Larry Reed. In the immortal words of Jar Jar Binks, fellas, Hello, boyos! <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. What an intro. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the, uh, be prepared for plenty of Jar Jar Binks impressions throughout this uh, conversation. Miss, I got a lad in me. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it's a good start. This is how we're going. This is how we're going, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Nice. <laughs> Star Wars may never be cancelled, but I certainly will be. Um, so, so the so the listeners know who each of you are. Larry, can you can you can you answer a simple question for me? Mm-hmm. When did you first become aware of Star Wars as a kind of phenomenon? Well, very much often in the East. I was born just in the same year that Return of the Jedi came out, so my parents were quite big fans of the first two films and when i was younger when i was growing up growing up that was constantly around star wars i had the toys i had the kind of books i had the films obviously in vhs um so i was kind of constantly aware of it from a very very young age the kind of first kind of memories of having toys were he-man and then also having like a yoda and amazing um a rancor and stuff like that so yeah it's always been sort of i've always been aware of it and always like been a love of it so and it still am today so but so it's always been something i've been aware of nice what about yourself russell when did you well, well, yeah well, do you remember do you remember was there like a a before star wars and an after star wars time of your life like what what what, what? Uh, yeah there was there so it's definitely come from my dad who i think the so the first trilogy he loved, uh, and when they were re-releasing those, he showed them all to me, and he sort of sat me down and made me watch them all, and I loved them all. I remember having uh, for like the longest of time these like two figures. One was a um, rebel from Empire Strikes Back, and the one was a stormtrooper. And I remember having those, and they kind of stayed with me till I was like twenty, twenty-one, and then I got rid of them because I was like, nope, I'm an adult now, kind of kids things. But yeah, it's definitely. He was definitely hyping me up for this film, I think, when it before it came out. And like there was an exhibition we went to, I want to say, at the uh, Edexcel for a book called The Star Wars Archives before um, Phantom Menace came out. And yeah, there was a lot of pre-hype from my dad. He A lot of the stuff he has gifted to me is sci-fi based. Like a lot of the films I've watched uh, from him as sci-fi because he, he has a strong affinity towards it and also like kind of... 80s fantasy kind of loves George Lucas stuff. Has I think one of my parents' first dates or an early date was Howard the Duck. So they've kind of 
tied themselves to the Lucas brand quite strongly. Wow. So yeah, there was a it was definitely the summer before um Phantom Menace. We watched all three Star Wars and then I think I got in VHS and I was a little bit obsessed with it because the originals are, are really yeah. cool. They're really cool yeah, films yeah. and uh they're really easy to follow as a kid. You can follow them, you can become part of them. The narrative of, like this like farm boy turns out to be like the son of the the terrifying um henchman of the ruler of the entire cosmos whose sister is a princess and has a weird thing with them we won't get into that because it's not <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no it's, it's that it's 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 my dad um basically forced it on me and i willingly took it because it's really cool star wars can be really cool and so that's it's a oh yeah hyping into this that's why i was amazing yeah i i, I have vivid memories of seeing Empire Strikes Back in the cinema. So it must have been. So I was born in 1991. And I remember there was that spate in the 90s. I'm not sure if it was in the run up to The Phantom Menace it, or it must have been. Maybe. I think I think it was. I think it was because um, it, it got the, into production George or something. Got to that point where he's going to make it. Or it was yeah. the, and the, so, the. Was it uh, the v- VHS the, release? The the, it may have been the specialized extended editions where he kind of. When he kind of came back, George Lucas and... Oh, yeah, he fiddled them, didn't he? He fiddled them. Fiddled, fiddled like, them, like, um, more like CGI's and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things in the background stuff. and stuff like, yeah, so... So it must... It's better when the special editions came out in the 90s, I got... I saw them all again. Because um, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but... Yeah, so that's probably been in, in maybe like 94, 95 or something they come out. And you get the kind of gold, big gold box set of them. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that in people's living rooms being like... Yeah, I had that. And it's amazing yeah, now that people that. long for like the the pre-CGI version, especially of uh Star Wars 1997's original, because it is mm. it doesn't exist anymore. It's almost like a, a holy grail item, especially amongst kind of big Star Wars nuts and stuff like that. Um <sighs> so before we get into getting too too entrenched in pod racing gungans and all things taxation. Uh, Larry, as it's your first time on the podcast, I've got to, yeah, got to go through a couple of questions with you to find out your Coppola yep. connections, your Coppola credentials, if you will. The first of which being, when did you become aware of the Coppola family? Not just as, uh, yeah, there's this kind of massive entity. Like, what was the entry point, and when did you realise there is a kind of whole kind of republic, as you will, of, of 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 Coppola's. I think I'd, well, I, kind of a duty yourself, and I was becoming sort of friends and bonding over podcasting. Podcasting, um, I was sort of introduced to a, a very obviously ethereal member of the Coppola family that we will always talk about. Um, when I watched *Raising Arizona* when I was a kid, got to watch that when I was younger. So the man himself, Nicholas Cage, has always really been something I've been aware of. But I wasn't, I didn't really know a lot about um, other connections um, until listening to your podcast and you know, speaking to you and getting more and more entrenched <laughs> in it and a bit more info. And seeing all the, the kind of family tree you've kind of built, um, that's definitely made me think, oh my God. Like, so even the last few days, I've been like, He's connected and she's connected. So it's, it's really, really mental. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's the kind of my first entry point was was always Nicolas Cage. Amazing, 
Amazing. Uh, have you ever met a Coppola family member, Larry? Obviously, you said you've been pretty uh, agnostic to them, didn't really know much about them. Well, no. no, there's no I way. Don't think, <laughs> I don't think I've ever met one yet. I, I would say that I, I'm always open um, to meet one. You, you, I'd, like, I'd like to meet Jason's Watchman. I think I would get on quite well. Yeah, it, it, I, and he's a nice guy. Yeah, I feel like you could just pop him in your pocket and he could just live with yeah. you, right? He could just like kind of kind of follow you about. It could be your <laughs> conscience, like Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what would have been the first either Roman Coppola or Sofia Coppola film you've seen, if you've seen any? Well, I think the only one that I, I have seen is probably The Lost in Translation. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen that in the cinema and, and to this day I love it. I think it's, I think it's an amazing film. Um, just a very kind of comforting film, I think, really. And yeah, and I've, I love, I'm a big fan of Bill Murray. Um, but yeah, that's probably the only one I've really seen of Sophia's. Rome, I'm not as well versed in, but Sophia, I kind of what, uh, was made aware of from um, her amazing powerhouse performance in Godfather 3. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, obviously it was a kind of like a meme of the 90s for a long, long time. But so when she was like, I was like, oh, like the lassie from Godfather Part 3's made a film and it's... She was just really trying to help oh, her dad to. out. Leave her alone, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself, Russell? Obviously you've come on before to talk about Jason Schwartzman. What would have been your entry point to either Sophia or and or Roman? Uh, so with, um, I don't know if I have an entry point for Roman, but with Sophia, it, it's that at university, one of the first, maybe the first one we started was Lost in Translation. And I'd previously tried to watch it and not got on with it because I, I found the pace languid and slow and and I was too young for it when I first saw it. And then I saw it at university and, and watching it in like um, a screening room at my uh, university really helped me get into that. And then I kind of, I've watched most of her films. I haven't seen The Virgin Suicides, but I've seen like The Bling Ring and uh, Marie Antoinette and The Beguile, The Beguiling. And they're always, um, she always surprises me as a director, which I probably shouldn't have this surprise because she keeps making really good films, but it's always like, oh yeah, she can direct. Um, yeah, I um, I think that's my entry for her. I have never seen The Godfather Part 3, uh, to my sins. I've never seen The Third Godfather um i kind of its reputation precedes it and i need to just at some point suck it up and watch it i i will be i i managed to catch coda the new cut of it last year in the cinema i thought i thought like it's it's not the best it's not the best of the three but it's very hard to go up against those films it's still a fine film like i think i think i think people give it too much hard time talking about uh (laughs) Talking about Sophia Coppola's performance, and the, one of the things people do not talk about that film enough is the incest subplot. Something that something that uh, the Star Wars saga and the uh, Corleone family saga have in common. There must be there must have been something in the water with George Lucas and uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Were like, you know what? You know what would spice up our yeah, film? It's, it's only accidental incest. You've got to... You've got to yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Luke, Luke never knew, really, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's just a kiss. Yeah, and just, a few glances. It's just... That's what they all say. It's just a kiss. <laughs> that's how it starts. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, 
Francis doesn't have that that defence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Marie Corleone very much knows that Vincent is her cousin and they still make Noki together. And that's not a euphemism, they actually make Noki in the film, which is, <laughs> if anything, a reason to watch that film is you learn how to make Noki. So... That's great. Well, yeah, yeah, let's 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 not talk about incest because that could bog us down. And uh, if my Jar Jar Binks impression hasn't already got us onto dicey ground, that very much will. So let's talk about Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell him to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. This film was released on May 19th, 1999 on a budget of $115 million and a box office return of $1.027 billion. That is a massive, yeah, you, you would have thought that already George Lucas is kind of Scrooge McDucking it about in a vault full of money. He would have just been fucking levitating at this point with how much money uh, this this film brought in for him. So, who is going to do us the pleasure of telling us what this film's all about? Uh, let's give it a try. So, this is a film about taxes, trade, and the Sith, amongst many other things. Uh, so, it begins with the Trade Federation, who are Abaddon's, decide they're going to take over the planet of Naboo. There are a pair of Jedi Knights, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we've met Obi-Wan Kenobi previously, but this is a younger version of him, are sent to sort of stop this and they fail. But then first meeting Jar Jar Binks, who, I mean, we'll get into Jar Jar Binks. He is a 
a character, and then they also meet Queen Amadilla. Amadilla? Am I saying that right? Amadala. Amadala. Thank yeah. you, Amadala. Amadilla sounds and... too much like Amadillo. <laughs> and so they um, leave the planet because the Trade Federation are using their droids to take it over, and it's not safe for the Queen, and head to first Tatooine, where they meet a young uh, boy with a very familiar surname of Skywalker, who might be the key to... Um, bringing balance to the force and they head off to try and stop war from brewing up. But in the shadows is the return of maybe the Sith who haven't been around for a very long time, but there's this strange red faced spiky horned chap floating around with a double, um, double ended lightsaber, lightsaber, nothing else. And um, yeah, a confrontation is brewing and I'll leave it there. That's where we end up. So, oh, and there's a lot of talk of trade and taxes. I, I yeah. kind of skipped that out, but yeah, it's a lot of talk about trade and taxes. So, Larry, I, I, I want to ask you, what was your kind of expectations coming into this like before this film was released? Do you do you remember who who was Larry Reed before this film came out, or like around around the lead up to this? I I can be very specific. In fact, I I can remember it very vividly. Um, I had a, at that when I was about 16, I had a friend and we saw it from high school called John, um, and we we're both massive Star Wars fans. It was kind of almost like a sort of a competition who had the sort of the biggest Star Wars collection. I can remember actually, actually fighting over a VHS of Ewoks that one of our friends had and was given away, uh, came, almost came to blows. Um, <laughs> but I remember when the trailer came out, I've been at his house and going, I don't even know how we even found it. Cause it, it was very early internet at that stage. Um, or, or, you know, so obviously I had to download it. It was going to come out in that day. So we just waited and we downloaded the, the trailer. It was very, very compressed and very horrible and hard, hard to watch. But yeah, like I remember being, because the trailer doesn't really go on about the trade, <laughs> trade stuff. You just like saying, oh, I've got lightsabers, there's fights. There's this child, who's this child going to be, sort of thing. Um, there's a weird sort of lizard man walking about, making <laughs> potentially Jamaican, but also potentially gibberish. Um, <laughs> and I also remember being like, well, we're get and we're getting to see the score was there, the Star Wars score, and... I've been been very very excited and seeing lightsabers again for the first time in a new setting for God like twenty years something like that at that point yeah eighteen so, years yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. mad so I I remember being very very excited and then I was going to watch Caravan of Courage to celebrate amazing amazing what about you Russell how 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 were your kind of expectations for this film. <laughs> Who, who, yeah, who, who are you in 1999 in the kind of lead up to this? Uh, I am a, I think I was, yeah, I was 10. So I was 10 at the time and I was definitely, if looking back in it, I was hyped. I was pumped. I'd been indoctrinated into the Star Wars fold. Um, my dad took me, and we're getting to the trip to it, took me to see this in Leicester Square with my cousin on the opening weekend. So he booked tickets long in advance it was a, a trip into London, which back in when I was 10 seemed like a mystic, exciting thing. 
and now it seems like a bit of a chore. So yeah, I, when I was young, this was I really my, my my dad was clearly very into this, and I was very into this, and we kind of um, had planned this trip. This trip was going to happen. It was going to be big and exciting. And I remember the build-up marketing. I remember seeing posters, seeing the trailer, I think, in the cinemas. I think I saw it in cinemas beforehand. And yeah, and like with the trailer, it's like the Star Wars trailers always um, capture that kind of mood and feel of the films. Even like, I mean, I don't, we probably aren't going to discuss Rise of Skywalker, but I don't like it. But the trailers for Rise of Skywalker at least make me think it's going to be a good film because the score is so good because... Uh, no single Star Wars has not got like the basic look and feel of a Star Wars. They all look and feel like a Star Wars film. Uh, we've never got anywhere near like, I guess what Lord and Miller might have done with Solo might have been not Star Wars, but uh-huh. yeah, we've never had that. And so I remember the trailers, I remember the posters, I remember pictures of like uh, Darth Maul looking incredibly cool. Yeah, the idea that there were new characters and old characters mixing in was exciting. It was going back to a world you knew, but also that was going to be a bit different and a bit just a different part of it felt exciting and fresh. Yeah. I think for me, like the excitement around this film was the image of Darth Maul. And I would have been eight years old when this film came out. And I remember having being bought a magazine and I think it was something like national geographic. So nothing in there I would like care to actually read. But the cover was just like a black cover with an, an image of Darth Maul on it. And I was just like, wow. I should, and, I, and I should have been terrified, right? As an eight-year-old, he's quite a terrifying looking guy. But I was just like, oh, I'm fully in on this. And I, I don't really know I had like the kind of faculties to be that excited about it, like knowing the kind of, do you know what I mean? I, I, I probably wasn't aware about the 18 year gap. I kind of didn't like, wasn't in on the, the, the lore of it all. Do you know what I mean? I went thumbing through books and reading the, I don't know. On, yeah. I, I wasn't there like you, Larry, like yeah. waiting for the train. I wasn't one of those multiple people who went to see like films that were coming out of the cinema. Cause they knew they were going to, see the trailer and then leaving immediately i was just kind of like well this looks fun there's like lasers there's there's lightsabers there's all uh, yeah and i I was probably there going oh this 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 little lizard dude looks pretty funny like i remember having a toy (laughs) i had this like toy that was jar jar binks's head which had like a kind of sticky tongue that you could kind of like flick out and it would like stick to like stick to a window yeah yeah Yeah, i remember this toy yeah and it was just the head right it wasn't you didn't get the body it was was just the head it was just the head and i absolutely (laughs) loved it and i remember the game there was like a playstation tie-in game that was like which i think if anything i've probably got more fond memories of (laughs) than that than than the film kind of watching the film again i was like Oh yeah, I remember that. Le- I remember like, I remember the Gungan planet. Like, the, do you know what I mean? The Gungan underwater level. Oh yeah, I, re- I remember the kind of the big fight at the end level of the game. And I was kind of like, I don't actually remember <laughs> the bits of the film. I'm kind of like my my memories of it were all kind of playing the game. Um, before yeah, before we get into more on star wars uh episode one i wanted to just read something for you guys and uh you you may you you may you may have you may have heard this or, or read this yourself um 
I want you, I want you, the listeners, and you guys to keep this in mind. Does this sound like something that would entice kids that they're going to have fun? Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy, to settle the conflict. Russell. Does that sound like a fun time or does that sound like a fun time? Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. No, no, no. I mean, if if I'd been a kid and read them, like, what? Tax? Trade routes? That's not the Star Wars I want. I want, like, you know, Atats walking across Hoth Planet going to take out some rebels. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's not a good first pitch for the return of Star Wars. I will say that the opening crawl is not, but it kind of just set it up what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. And, and, and funnily enough, like in the lead up to this conversation, somebody recently did a post on Twitter. I, I, I'm sure both of you probably like may have seen it and or those listening would have engaged with it. It kind of was very like a viral, viral tweet that was like, Basically asking people like their thoughts, their first impressions of uh, episode one. And I saw a lot of people going like, oh, I was a, I was a kid when I saw this movie. It was, it was, it was loads of fun. That does like, does not feel like something that was written to, 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 to lay out something fun for children, what do you think, Larry? Like, what what do you think of that? That yeah, that for those of you who are kind of in the dark here and don't realize that is the opening crawl to Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. It's yeah. Even like watching it last night, I was like, "What? Why are we talking? Like, I, I was just kind of why are we getting bogged down in this? Like, we can just like, oh, can you just get we meet those guys evil." They go very quickly into like right. Just let's just let's just take over the planet straight away. They're very very. I, I was actually more surprised at how quickly they get to that point. But yeah, all this kind of like stuff in courts and the Senate and stuff. Like it's cool to see like the ET spotting or the you know the wikis and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's basically just like watching court TV. It's like it's like watching like CPAC or something. Yeah, like, it's like, I'm, it's I'm like watching like, like 16 or 17. Maybe I want to be watching the UN, right? workers and stuff at that age, but I don't particularly want. If I like, I want to go my younger sister came and seen that film with us, and I don't think she was really up for listening about, like, you know, the back and forths of, you know, of gubernatorial. Um, Races for supremacy, or or want to get the next Senate leader or Supreme Chancellor. I, I, kids were like, right, okay, get on, get and, on, I'll go on with it. Like, let's like, can we just get back to the Jar Jar stuff, or let's get back to the, the weird robots stuff again? <laughs> I don't I think don't, is there any kid that would want to see this kind of really weird 
CNN all stuff. The, all the Jedi Council stuff, like the whole, like, de- yeah. the Jedi Council debating um, whether or not someone like Anakin can be trained because he's too young. It'll, yeah, there's a lot in this film that feels um, not made for kids. Like, and I, I tentatively admire it of, of Lucas because he clearly has a strong vision here. He has a strong idea of the story he wants to tell. And we've got to get to the point where we want, not want, but we expect this world to be, you know, torn up because that's where the trilogy goes. But as a kid, but as a kid, I don't remember these conversations. I don't remember watching the parliamentary scene. I remember like the pod racing, the lightsabers, the incredible battle at the end, the kind of feel of this world is what I remember, not the substance of it. I don't remember like the talk of trade or taxes or the debates of should the Senate intervene. Yeah. And now, like when I watch them, I'm like, oh, Terrence Stamp, Terrence Stamp's in this. That yes. was what I got excited about watching this time because I couldn't remember <laughs> Terrence Stamp. And it's like, oh, I love Terrence, you're here. And he's in it for like maybe two, three minutes. But that was my excitement. It wasn't anything else. And that's kind of my aging is like, I've gone from like this not being a memory to like, now I know that Terrence Stamp is in it. Yeah. What, I guess one of, one of the kind of burning questions I had like rattling around my brain, like watching this this time as well is, how does this work as like an like episode one? Does this film work <laughs> as an entry point? What what do you think to that, Russell? Like, could you absolutely could you- not? No, like like so. Like, the thing is, the appeal of the original trilogy is that they are quite a simple story of good versus evil, and even something like Darth Vader. And spoilers for like you know fairly old films, like a thirty year old film. Even Darth Vader going from the dark side of the force to the light side of the force at the end is quite a simple basic narrative thing and that's that's i'm it's a compliment i'm giving them that they are simple and easy to follow there is good there is bad then that's what the fight is and this starting with this uh the only reason why this film appeals as a star wars is because you know what it's leading towards you're going to get through this you'll get through the churn of the second one which i'm actually going to go off and watch all the prequels now i've watched this one i want to watch them all yeah but like the second <laughs> one you get the whole uh rolling through the grass and the kind of terrible love story between um the anakin and 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 uh, i keep wanting to call it armadillo but yeah um yeah you get and that's the thing like as a standalone film this wouldn't make much sense it's like if the first avatar had started with i don't know a really complicated story about the ethics of creating avatars and yes. like it was like and the first hour of the film is just them going through the process of creating avatars and then the second hour is them flying off to the planet and then it ends when they step foot on the planet that's kind of what this feels a bit like to me whereas yeah. avatar is because avatar is probably the closest we've got to a star wars like uh story is that it, it's about someone going to a planet and doing dances of wolves but with you know giant yeah. terrifying smurfs um yeah, like so, uh, as as a standalone, as a first entry point, no. And there's other stuff going on here. That I also think makes this not a great first entry into Star Wars. Like, I think that the roster of characters aren't as engaging or exciting as like. There's not a Han Solo here, and Luke Skywalker doesn't have an equal replacement here. Having someone like Ewan McGregor not wanting to be part of the show because, yeah, we might want to talk about the acting, but Ewan not really wanting to be there, but being there. Um, yeah, there isn't that kind of like immediate roster of characters that the first Star Wars has. The first Star Wars has these like four or five characters that immediately stand out mm-hmm. and it has like droids which seem exciting and fun as opposed to droids everywhere who are kind of cute but also vaguely annoying. And uh, yeah, it, it, 
this, so yeah, this is not a good first entry point into Star Wars. The appeal of this is coming to it, having watched previous Star Wars and being like, ah, oh, there's a bit more Star Wars here. And that's where this at least works for me is that I have a fondness for Star Wars already so I can get through the churn to get to like the gems. Like you can get through the dirt to get to the gold. I'm re- I'm really tempted because I've got I've got a four year old son. I'm mean, there's certain there's certain like franchise properties that I'm like very much holding off on. Do you know what I mean? Like I think this, I don't think I'd like I, I think Star Wars as a whole is is way too young for, and yeah, like the MCU and stuff like that. I'm kind of like really just being like, do you know what I mean? When you're like eight, nine, ten years old, that's when we'll kind of like wheel these out. There is some there's like a perverse part of my mind though that is like do i do i start him on episode one do i just just for like a social science perspective just be like right it's called one two three four five six seven eight and nine you've got to do them in this order and uh yeah just make it just make him watch them in the order of of the episodes as opposed to the order of release just just so i can know <laughs> like well, you need two kids. You need it to be an experiment. You need two kids to yeah. do it. With. You need to have one that does it in release order, or it does it like uh, in like a narrative. No, no, in release order. And then when you do a narrative order, so like yeah. when you get to the end of Revenge, you've then got to fit in Solo and Rogue One. I don't know which. I think Solo comes before Rogue One, and then you can do the original trilogy, yeah, and then you can do, do yeah, the sequels trilogy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not having another kid. Uh, I'm not I, having another I kid just, just for, for the that. sake of science. I, could, I barely kid. afford one kid. I'm not having a second <laughs> one just for. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. And I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. And uh, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who'll be who'll be sensible and show their children these films in uh, in the correct order. Get them excited with uh, episode four, and then kind of. Be like, you can watch episodes one, two, three if you want, or you can just skip them and and, and go to episodes uh, seven and eight, and then we'll just end it there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Larry, like, what? Yeah, what? 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 What do you think of this as like an entry point to to the franchise? Would you Would you recommend anyone do that, or would you? No, I I think if you're looking, especially if you get kids, I think you're you are better off going into just watching A New Hope and then watching those films. And then if you really want to know, like, I would like maybe like if I had a child, I would sit them down and go like, okay, you watch these films. Would you really want to know more about, is that sort of part of Oswald joke of like, oh, I'm making a new Star Wars movie. Oh yeah, that's what Chris was about. It's actually about how David is really sad and he's a wee boy. He'd be like, oh, okay. Or do you want? Or do you want to know more about Luke's journey? Or do you want to see more of Han Solo and Chewbacca? Do you watch the kind of seven, eight, and nine films? You want to watch those ones, or maybe not? Say you're going to see a lot of Han Solo in the, after the second one of those. <laughs> um, after the first one of those, I should say. Uh, but no, episode one. It's just like like Russell was saying. It's just a bit. It doesn't have that roster of mm-hmm. like of memorable people. I mean, like. You've got Obi Wan Kenobi in there, and that's that's cool. And you get there's R two D two, which I think is probably one of the <laughs> the standouts for somebody who doesn't talk and is just a tin machine. But um, it's cool to see him. But this, I think, this doesn't have the same sort of wow factor or the sort of same mm-hmm. sort of 
fantasy as you know, a new hope does or Empire does or Return of the Jedi does. I think they've got more appeal for kids. Especially Return yeah. of the Jedi. You're like I would say if you want to compare like episode one and Return of the Jedi, which are two two ones that are sort of lauded and from each side of like other oh, shit because they get the Ewoks and shit because of Jar Jar Binks. If you put them as sort of the polar opposites, I think you're you're far better off watching Return of the Jedi and oh, yeah. enjoying that and and I'll Ewoks take an Ewok over a Gungan any day of the week. Ewoks are not that bad. They're actually really funny. Yeah. Um, I will go back with the Ewoks every time. And it's also just a better movie. Just a, a more fun and more action-packed movie. The final battle especially and the final fight with Vader and Luke is just it's phenomenal. So, yeah, if, if kids out there, if you're listening, I should obviously regular listen to this podcast, of course, um, watch Return of the Jedi, not episode one. But we'll get more into yeah. that in the future little bit just to prove that this podcast really should be listened to you kids don't show them cunts this podcast all right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, before we get into yeah i want to talk about the performances in this film but before we do that i want to talk about the gungans this is like this is a real pressing matter for me because it's it's a they're an odd, they're an odd duck of of a kind of race. And are we to believe as well? Because from my knowledge, after episode three, we we never see a Gungan in in any any subsequent Star Wars film, do we? Kind of narrative. No, no, they haven't been like. I don't think they're in any of the sequels, and they're definitely not in any of the original trilogy. So, no. I, yeah. No, it hasn't happened. It might happen, you know. There's yeah, there still happened. a universe out there. I don't think it's even in any certain. And I'm obviously a big watcher of the Mandalorian and Andor and stuff. I don't think they're even in that. I think. And I, think I, think Clone Clone Wars, I never watched Clone Wars, Wars so like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think. I think they're very like. So who's to, So why why aren't we talking about the Gungan genocide? That's what that's what I want to know. Because like, obviously, oh, and, and and in this film as well, like it's almost like they knew at the time that they were like fucking ridiculous kind of race of characters. Because <laughs> there is like a throwaway line where they're like, "But but but doing this, but do, but doing this battle, like it, it, it will lose a lot of Gungan lives," and then like cut to a load of Gungans going against a load of droids. It's almost like they're going, "Fuck the Gungans!" They're like, "We don't care." <laughs> I think I think they've locked the Gungans, or even that, even mention of the idea of them in that sort of that big warehouse at the end of Raiders. Just <laughs> well, the concept art and all the sort of mentions and all the stuff has been like just put in this box and just, oh man, wheeling it all back at the end of episode one, going right, just forget about these. Jaja's in. I think Jaja's in the third and Veggie the Sith. I think he's in all of the all of the prequels, but in an increasingly small role. Yeah, like like I think he has like two lines or something at the end. Like I think he's like a scene in the second, and I think he's got like maybe a line in the third. And, yeah, which is tragic because like I, I I think they entirely missed the mark on creating a um good new alien race for the Star Wars franchise, uh-huh. but yeah. I don't. I don't hate the Gungans. I think I, I understand their place in Star Wars, and I think that that's the thing you got to understand with Star Wars. There's always these like little freaks running around, <laughs> doing their things, being kind of a bit weird. Like in all the films, have them. Like my, I have a friend who hates Porgs, and Porgs like the weird puffin things. Yeah, 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 And they're weird little freaks as well. And it's like he hates them, so I get him lots of Porg stuff. Uh, and I think it's just 
I think if if it had been in like I don't know the Force Awakens, the Last Jedi, maybe the Gungans would have been more like uh, held up. And I think it's just that when they came out, it was like that's a bit weird. And that, because South Park was its full force and took the piss out of the Gungans in the the film, they definitely have like a line that's ripped entirely from Star Wars in the film. Send the same iteration. Yeah, so I... Um, do I think they're exterminated by... Well, I mean, I think a lot of people die when the Empire comes. That's the thing. Like, I think... I think there's, like, a darkness to... I mean, yes, obviously, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith has Anakin actually kill a load of younglings. And I <laughs> I like to use the term younglings for some of my um, colleagues that I manage. Just to kind of... Like, <laughs> nice thing for you. Um, oh. But yeah, like... I think As you call them of... into a board meeting, come on, younglings! <laughs> um, <laughs> the Imperial yeah, I, I think, March playing. I think there's a lot of death and destruction that we don't see between Revenge and A New Hope, which is probably there in Andor. I haven't watched Andor. I've seen like an episode of it. I need to watch it all. But it's just quite a downbeat topic, isn't it? To be like, yeah, yeah. Between these two films, you know, we got the cool lightsabers, but then we got like. 30 years of alien race after alien race being crushed and destroyed. And I imagine this is one of the alien races that fought back. And because they like have no weapons, as we kind of see, they're kind of just a bit of a useless in war kind of uh, alien. I think they're all dead, but I don't think we'll ever see it because it's just <laughs> a really dark, like additional scene of the Mandalorian is showing that. <laughs> I know. And they kind of like, they're kind of wheeling out, like whoever right they can like i think they made like references to like the race of sebulba like sebulba's race of alien i think get like i mentioned in the mandalorian yeah. three or something like that like so there's yeah it seems like the gungans and, and i i guess talk about the gungans is something that kind of looms over this film is obviously there's like some controversial kind of yeah they're 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 they're, they're them watto and there's the two kind of guys who on the like the, the Naboo Council who are kind of trying to uh, at the beginning we meet who are trying to push this trade deal mm. seem very broad strokes kind of racial stereotypes oh, that yeah. kind of I think I don't really really don't kind of work I don't and I, and I can't imagine them working particularly well in 1999 like. No. let alone let alone in 2023 like no. yeah well like and not e not even the fact that the, the gungans speak is sounds 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 very racist it just sounds fucking stupid as well yeah. do you know what i mean yeah, like it does really it's hard to sometimes understand what jar jar's saying and i think he's like the, the least audible of them really you can sort of make out what the other ones are saying um, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, what the fuck did he actually say? Like, because he's talking so almost in rhymes and like sort of mismanaging words. It's really strange. But also, you have got to sort of admire George Lucas's and the scriptwriters' decision to just to be like cover all the bases of racism in one movie. Just be like, <laughs> yeah, everybody, let's like, what we get away with sort of race, being racist if we just be like, if we can hit the Jewish people, if we hit the kind of. You know, the african-americans if we hit like just everybody at the one time like sort of ac yeah. according to the attack we can sort of like it's, it'll confuse people like a big kind of bomb it goes off it goes oh, oh there's, so, there's so much racism in this movie <laughs> that I'm, I'm confused by it 
Um, it's so, a three pronged attack. Yeah, but what what will be what was very like the minute he starts talking, you're like there's like sort of a sharp inhalation of breath, and you go, oh, this is this has not aged. It wasn't. It wasn't. I'm going to say it aged well, but it wasn't. Aged, I think it aged the minute he, minute he spoke. I think and like this is like what's he doing here? But it feels yeah. immediately misjudged. Like yeah, it definitely feels, very and, much and like I that, think yeah. there's a making of the and there where there's like George Lucas is talking about Jar Jar, how he's this exciting new character, and then it's like it shows a bit of him going. Maybe we went to a bit too far in this, like in the pre-production. Maybe we've gone too far with this, and then it's like, yeah, maybe you did with Jar Jar. I just, I f- like. There's always being strange aliens, but they're mostly non-verbal, or they we don't understand them. So, like yeah. the, um, I'm trying to think of the little little things that steal droids in the first one. Jawas. Uh, the Jawas. We don't understand the Jawas, and we don't need to understand them. And obviously, there's Chewie and things like that. There's like alien race is in this that don't have to be broad uh, racist stereotypes. Because, yeah, any alien that speaks in this is basically being a broad racist stereotype. Like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it does... I would say it kills the film dead, but I think a lot of the acting does that anyway. So, um, yeah. Well, I yeah, think fa- it- saying about the acting, I think famously Ewan McGregor has said... <laughs> His acting in this is walking into rooms and looking up. He has and never like, been more bored than in this film. I I love Ewan McGregor. I think he's a gorgeous, very talented actor. Some of his films are my favourite films. Uh, my so my story of this is that the day before we went and saw this, my dad watched Train Spotting for the first time. He'd never seen Train Spotting, and he chose wow. to watch it the day before watching this. And Ewan McGregor in Train Spotting is fantastic, and he is giving it his all. And it's like this, like char- charismatic, charming, um, sleazy performance. And there's so much color and nuance there. And then it's in this. It's like his line delivery is is <clears throat> like he's never seen the lines before, and he's just saying them in the dullest tone possible. And, yeah. and Lucas is famous for not being a very good director of actors. Like he can create worlds that are beautiful to look at that have fantastic special effects, but famously his. Like it's why he didn't direct the two, the uh, Empire or Return of the Jedi, because famously doesn't really like working with actors. Like doesn't really get on with them. He's it's not his his thing. But yeah, like Ewan's not very good. Natalie Portman is a fantastic Oscar-winning actor, and she is dreadful here. Mm. I feel <laughs> sorry for Jake Lloyd, but Jake Lloyd is clearly as a kid actor isn't working. Uh, Liam Neeson is fine, yeah. I guess. He's just being Liam Neeson. Uh, yeah, but particularly for me, Ian McGregor, Natalie Portman and Jake Lloyd are just kind of out of their depths, I think. because Again, this is like one of the first like very highly CGI films. So it's like one of the first times you've got actors with yeah. acting like in front of tennis balls, essentially. That, that hadn't really happened much before this point. And so I think that feeds into a lot of their performances, like this, like discomfort of being on a set without like stuff to work off of. But well, yeah. and this this is a this is like a big leap for you and McGregor, right? Like you said, like in the nineties, he's kind of doing a lot more smaller indie fare, and mm. then this is kind of like step into the big leagues. Like, what do you think of of your of your countrymen in this, uh, Larry? Uh, obviously, obviously, a. Uh, a, a fellow Scott, is he not? You uh, and McGregor. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I can have to agree with Russell. He's just he is kind of 
doing a sort of paint by numbers. I'll I will be Alec Guinness, but I won't be <laughs> trained actor Alec Alex Guinness. I'll just Alec Guinness. I'll just be Alec Guinness if he could just like look at things like awkwardly and then just go and then like talk a little bit and then leave. Um, yeah. it just is very. It's a very muted, very, and I think I think he even kind of came out at the time. And I, I know I know now, he's sort of with all the new Obi Wan series, he's kind of come back and being very like lauded now, and he's very happy and and coming back and doing it, and it seems to enjoy. I it mean, now. he is he is great in Obi Wan. The yeah, TV yeah. show, he's great. Like, I think the TV show is it's fine, but he is him and um. Christensen are both yeah. doing fantastic acting in that, like the kind of acting they they probably never really did in the prequels, and that's. Yeah. And I think they do get better. I think both of them, obviously, well, obviously, Hayden is only the next two, but I think Dune does get a little bit more into it, a yeah. bit more. It comes a bit more animated and it gets a little bit more. But I think at the time, I remember very vividly him kind of coming out and just being like, "Why the, why the fuck am I in this movie?" Like. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was talking about Star Wars fans coming up to me, like, just want to fuck off. And like, just like, I, I'm saying you're like, I've got to get the fuck. Um, he was very, very <laughs> blasty about like, but now I think he's, he has sort of settled in that role and he can do it a lot better. He seems to be a bit, I think maybe it comes with a little bit more experience and maybe being a bit older um, and sort of settling into sort of the role and be like, well, I'm actually quite good at this. I can kind of go into this, this character a little bit better and, um, Living his skin a little oh. bit better, but I don't think I think he's just maybe a bit just a bit too too young, a little bit too like I can't even remember the films that really Ewan McGregor was in before this, like like Green Spotting and So it's like yeah, Train Spotting. I think there's a Nightwatch who's in Jane Austen costume drama that he pops up in. He's in also he's in um uh, what do you call it? Shallow Grave as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he yeah, had like so that punch like, with Danny Boyle, which yeah, was very yeah. fruitful, and then they obviously fell so it's out a big, it's a big, Yeah, it's a big change to come into something like like a massive franchise. It's, I imagine it's much like, you know, you're sort of like Matt Ruffalo, like not really do, like doing kind of romantic comedies or doing sort of serious kind of indie films and then coming into like being the Hulk. It's almost like that, like, but but now it's more of a thing now. It's a bit more like expected and people kind of can go into and mould themselves into that, but I think jumping into Star Wars at that time, the only person that's probably having fun in Star Wars is, is probably Samuel L. Jackson, who, who fucking loves loves being these films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's not great, and his sort of his performance shows it. And I also said earlier on that what if it, um, old Qui Gon, old Liam Neeson, just being Liam Neeson and just doing Liam, Liam Neeson things. Is Liam well, Neeson all over this film? Well, I, I, I think, and it's, I think it's a similar point to uh, Natalie Portman, is we get no setup of these characters. And yeah. that, this is why I fundamentally think that this doesn't act as like an entry point to a story because mm. we kind of join the story partway through as well. It's yeah. not like we get like, oh, some kind of setup of like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan being sent on this mission. Yes. It's like they're just on it. There's no, there's no like kind of like, I don't know, like a, a, a first film. There's kind of like some, some we're going on an adventure kind of thing. We're kind mm. of like the characters 
meeting each other, whether it's for the first time, obviously they couldn't probably do that in this, but like at least kind of meeting up and going on their journey. This is like, right, they're supposed to have an established relationship. We're supposed to somehow slot into that and like we're supposed to have all this future story of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which only really we got in one film. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. he's, he's, he's off at the end of of Star Wars. And then it's it's all a bit like yeah he he does he does very stilted line deliveries <laughs> like there there is a, there is a line he's, he says to Jar Jar Binks who kind of just goes go in this room try not to cause any trouble and then just like walks out again it's like mate, fuck me yeah 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 because yeah, think... walks off and it's like I've done my lines bye and also but also he's trying to do an impersonation of uh, like a really one of the great actors, there's also that guy again. And so clearly yeah. not, it's not all landing. Like, so, I mean, I, so I watched all the Lord of the Rings in one day this weekend because <laughs> yeah, nice. it, it took, it took a long time. But the thing is, thinking about how that starts its trilogy and it's not dissimilar sort of idea of like a trilogy telling in a complete story. The first hour of Fellowship of the Ring is just with the Hobbits and it's just the hobbits getting to a certain point. Yeah. And then they introduce other characters. They spend their time with the heroes we're going to follow, who are the most important heroes. And that's what we should have done here. And we, it, it just kind of, we're thrown in. We're meant to know what a Jedi is straight away. And I mean, if you're watching Star Wars, you don't know what a Jedi is, then you're in trouble because you're going to have a lot more terminology coming to you. But you're meant to know what a Jedi is. You're meant to know what they're doing there because you're meant to have read that opening crawl. And then they kind of like jump underwater, they go see a race and they leave the planet and they go to these different planets. And I'm making it sound pacey than it is. It's not a very pacey film. It's over two hours, but there isn't like any sort of setup of the world. Like even A New Hope has that. A New Hope has it. Even The Force Awakens, which is sort of taking the model of A New Hope for today, has it like sets up, spends like the first 30, 45 minutes on the setup and that's kind of yeah. what this needed it needed just a bit more of a <laughs> of a gentle opening into it and to not go straight into talking about trade and taxes and jedis and yeah that's that's there's there's, there's as this isn't a this is a terrible entry point yes yeah. well to, to to make the to make this more fun instead obviously like we get it the jedi have these rules and regulations and they they probably do have these conversations but like from a purely like story and like just having fun at the cinema angle put put the character of anakin skywalker through some tests do you know what I mean give us like a montage of like him doing some training or like do you know what I mean just like kind of throw that to the side and not just like men in men in rooms going like or like Joe and, and, and Yoda's going, I see, I see darkness in his future. Like, and, or like, do you know what I mean? Just them, them just... Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Frank Oz. <laughs> Move over, all right? I've got a new daddy in town. <laughs> but yeah, there's, I, 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 just, I just really don't get... This is all tell and don't show. Yeah. And it's like, really, if you kind of take all the telling out, there's not really a lot of show. And even like the kind of action in it is just kind of quite throwaway. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, we've got to an obstacle. 
Bang, bang, lightsaber, lightsaber, defending a blast, like blow up a droid. Yeah. Oh, no, no, now we get back to some talking. And it's like, oh, great. That's what the kids are there for. They're there for the talking. Yeah, for the talking. yeah, you've got this the wrong way around, George. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, have a little bit of talking to get us back to the action, please. Um, so otherwise, cast, cast-wise as, as well, yeah, Jake Lloyd, bless him. I don't want to talk... I don't want to talk bad about like then a child, but yeah, he's not he's he's not doing great, is he? He's kind of like <laughs> well, I, so like, I think like a lot of like um, kid acting. If it doesn't work, it, it's kind of down to the director. If the director hasn't found a way to get that performance from them, because there will be a reason why they they don't just cast any kids. They like will have cast a kid for a reason. It's just. Yeah, if there's a not great performance from them, it might be something to the director. Like, whatever you think of Stolberg, he was a master getting out great performances in kids. Like, that mm-hmm. you should have taken, like, obviously, Spielberg and Lucas are very good friends. Mm. Should take some notes from Spielberg or got Spielberg in for a day to, like, how can I direct this guy? Yeah, so I guess the, the, the main big sequence involving Jake Lloyd is pod racing we we can't talk about this film without talking about pod racing what what are your kind of lasting uh impressions and kind of how how, how do you feel about the pod racing larry i think it's probably the one the strongest part of this film i think and especially certainly the most memorable one when you see it in the cinema because it is made for cinema so to speak uh-huh. It's very bombastic. It's very loud and the noises, and it's, for, it's made for surround sound. So if don't watch it like a PC lad, watched it last night. Just watching a Blu-ray on a, a computer monitor with at least shitty headphones. It's meant to be sort of enjoyed. So I think even when I watched it last night, under those circumstances, I still thought there's the most impressive of the all the sequences, apart from. The big fight at the end, the Duel of Fates fight at the end with Darth Maul, mm-hmm. which I think is, is again the kind of crowning jewel of this this film. But yeah, I love, I love the pod race. I think it's fun and it's exciting and it's it's sort of like it's their Fast and the Furious moment a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, well, it's pre-Fast and the Furious, baby. So it's um no, I, 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 I think it's really fun. It's probably one of the it's sort of. It's refreshing because you've you've had all this kind of trade talking shit and just or just talking constant talking constant conversations, and then you've got this kind of quite full on kind of action scene, which I think is maybe where the where I was kind of interested in it when I seen the trailer, and I think kids would have been very interested in seeing basically seen like a wee boy, like a ten year old boy, sort of racing about. Who who wouldn't have wanted to do that at that age? What do you think, Russell? Because especially talking to like when we get those shots of Jake Lloyd in the cockpit, like it, does that does that, does that inspire like I don't know, like awe in you, or like the, the, are they moments that like take you out? Like, like, and I think it, yeah, I think for me it comes down to like you saying about like the bad direction. Like, you kind of, I get an impression. I don't know. He's, he, he looks like he should be having fun and determined. He just kind of looks like, what the fuck am I doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is probably one of the strongest 10 minutes of the film. And like, I have no idea why we've never had more pod racing because 
as a sport, it's exciting and it, it's engaging. And it's cool, but it's cool like as a kind of CGI creation, like watching these things go around. When it is the close up of um, Anakin, like trying to get like there's a bit where his cable comes off and he has like a magnet and he's trying to get that on, and it's all just a bit flat and functional. And it's it's again the limitations of Lucas as a director is that he can do like scope and scale and kind of like show us like these great like vistas and all those aspects, but the action is not really one of his strong points. It's really not something he can like cut and edit as thrillingly as he should. So like when it's just like us watching the pods go round, it's cool and exciting. But when it has to focus in on Anakin, it becomes a bit flat. Um, but yeah, I, I, as I said. I would love a film that's about pod racing. I would love pod racing to pop up in any number of Star Wars films. It would be great to have pod racing come back in and like have it be something that's happening. Like Star Wars can have fun when it goes off and does like the entertainment side of uh of its universe, like the the cantina in um, yeah. a New Hope or the casino in Last Jedi. If it slightly like pulls out of its like kind of big overarching story of Sith versus Jedi, yeah. tax versus free flow of trade, as is one of the key verses in our uh, <laughs> universe, apparently. Yeah, when it's like just the entertainment and the fun of the world. Yeah, this is quite a fun sequence. But again, it does highlight a weakness, which is that this film is great in how it looks and feels and sounds when it's not about people. When it's just like, when we were seeing, I don't know, like tanks roll across the hill the green, it looks great. When we're seeing droids go back and forth, when we're seeing the spaceships fly at the end and get in their fight, this film is great. But when it comes down to the humans and the voices, it's not. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's yeah. detached from that. And again, it's that kind of like thing about George Lucas that he can create these like exciting, invigorating worlds. It's the reason why he's the behind the stories of uh, the Indiana Jones films, the first three of those is because he can, like, on paper, put on a, an engaging story and an exciting, interesting world. But when it comes to people, doesn't work, doesn't click, doesn't ever, like, quite fit. And, like, again, like we get, like, the strange alien stereotypes are within this sequence. Like, if you take this sequence in, in, in its, and separate it off, you still get the strange, weird aliens. You get the little droids doing their things. And, like, when it cuts to, I don't know, Anakin's fans and friends, it's all very stilted and very, like, Mm. yeah like forced fun and this should yes. just be fun fun it shouldn't be forced fun it should be this should be the most fun but also the stakes should be really high and they just don't feel that high but yeah love pod racing really wanted to come back i'd happily start a campaign so we have more pod racing in star wars yeah it it, it feels like a fun mini game within a disappointing game right Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? like, you go, and like they made really... they made a pod racing game i remember yeah, i yeah. didn't play it but they made it so like you went to like different planets and it's just like yeah why wouldn't you do mario kart with pod racing that sounds fun mm. yeah i remember that, that i think there's an arcade machine as well i remember oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, at yeah, some yeah, yeah. point that's what and like everywhere <laughs> and it's really fucking hard to maneuver because like you kind of like it's kind of like counterintuitive like especially from growing up and everything is kind of steering wheels do you know what i mean whether it is arcades or like nintendo wii and stuff like that like it was kind of ingrained to hold a steering wheel and then it's like to turn you've got to like push one lever forward and it's it's really fucking I re <laughs> yeah that's what i mean i remember the kind of things around this film more than than the film itself and i think I, I i was doing myself a favor yeah and i found 
I found the pod racing stuff exciting, but then like it kind of you crash back down to earth, like or Tatooine in this case, like straight afterwards, and it's just more like kind of. And like the weird implications as well. Like there's a bet made that like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of slavery in this. We got like this slavery. Is... Yeah, and there's there's again. This is a question I've got for you guys. Is is Qui Gon Jinn trying to mac on uh, Anakin's mind? Absolutely. Is he is he is, he, is he, well like if he had another day on Tatooine, would he have been like? Do you know what I mean? Taking off his robes and I, I mean he's not meant to as a Jedi, but yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's sort it's, of like it's, yeah. uh, Liam Neeson, he is, uh, yeah, he has a natural charisma. So you know, he's, he's, that, he's there going, oh, if I take off these robes, I got a particular set of skills. I'll show you my little lightsaber. Like, <laughs> real, real dirty dog. Like, Qui-Gon, yeah, he, he, Qui-Gon feels like, uh, I don't know, the bastard father of a, of a thousand bastard children. That's the kind of vibe <laughs> you get from Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, a child in every port. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's he's dipping his lightsaber wherever he can get it. The dirty well, there's dog. there's our there's our Star Wars right there. The the kids of uh, Qui Gon set up like a Jedi school. Oh, amazing, yeah. They all <laughs> they all look vaguely like little Liam Neesons. <laughs> uh, a little tidbit I found out whilst researching this film that I I, I feel is uh, like. I don't. I really wanted to share is the fact that they only built the set depending on how tall the actors were, like because they were just gonna they were just gonna anything above that they're just gonna CG like, yeah. in the backgrounds, uh, and because Liam Neeson is so tall, it cost the production an extra hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I just I just I just I just love the kind of like. I don't know that that was like a concern. Yeah, they're not allowed to jump <laughs> then ever. If the no, set no, no, is no, like no. to the to his head, that's as and can't when put you, your when hand you wa- up. When you watch it, like especially using like Tatooine and stuff like that, it's like oh yeah, and they kind of lop it off. Like they either lop it off just just to, like do you know what I mean like a couple of couple of foot above it, like yeah, like a foot or so above his head. And then it's like, oh, all right, I see what you did here. Like, like I don't know. It, I and I guess this film came out at a weird time. Like, yeah, we've talked about the CGI and stuff like that. And it feels, I don't know, like the version I would have watched on Disney Plus, I imagine, would have been taken from the 2011 like remaster, and like Yoda in the original like cut of this film would have been a puppet still because yes. they mm. couldn't get the CG, you know. I guess is I I can't remember is Jar Jar Binks is 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 that is that someone in a suit in the original because he's no he's Jar Jar was always a CGI always creation. CG character I got to applaud it because like when he's not talking he looks it, the look of Jar Jar as a holy CGI creation is better than some of the holy CGI creations we get today like mm-hmm. given that this film is twenty four years old like. He looks great. I mean, yes, he looks a CJ creation, but that's fine. He's an alien. He can look kind of not tangibly real because he's an alien, maybe? I don't know. But yeah, like, yeah, he's a holy CJ creation. And they did the same with Yoda in the second and third. And I think they must have gone back and done it first. I, I wasn't really focusing. I was a bit bored during the Yoda bits in this one, I'm afraid. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yoda. I love you, but you're kind of boring in this film. 
Right. I guess one thing we've got to talk about, obviously, yeah. Sophia and Roman Coppola are in this film. Did either of you spot them? Because they are here in kind of blinking your miss it cameos. I think I seen Sophia. I know is she not one of the one of Amidala's handmaidens? Yes, she is. She is. Sashi yeah, she's or kind of Sasha Sash- or something like that. Yeah, when they're when they're like being taken away, when they've got Kira Knightley mm. as the decoy, yeah. when they're kind of and, and the handmaidens are in the purple robes, you can very much see Sophia Coppola in in the background, almost looking slightly embarrassed to be there, <laughs> if I'm honest. Like she's kinda of got this look on her face. She's kinda of, almost looks like she's looking off camera to I imagine like her dad's on set or something, being like, Really? Like yeah. I've 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 just, I, I'm about to direct Virgin Suicides and you're like, <laughs> I'm a bit too, I'm a bit too old to be like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, kind yeah, of smacks yeah. of like, if they were kids and maybe cast in like, I don't know, Return of the Jedi or something, do you know what I mean? Like having like a little small part as like some kids running around, probably would have loved it. But this it's like, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess we'll be in it. It's part of history, right? right? It's, a, it's a, it thanks of a favour. Isn't it? It's quite yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I, I think the Star Wars films are kind of famously, especially now, to a point that they, that like just famous people get to just have a little go if yeah, they yeah, want yeah. to, right? Daniel There's that Craig story of Dan- Weekends and I think that Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish and a couple of other people like kind of pop yeah. up in the um, either the Last Jedi, I think it is. Is Simon kind of Pegg like, in one of the, in one of them? Simon yeah, Pegg. Simon Pegg. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, pl- he, pl- he plays the kind of the slave owner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Por- yeah. Or well, like again, a lot of slavery shop. in Star Wars. Yes, big on yeah, slavery. Yeah, of course. Big, big on slavery. Big on racism. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Roman Coppola. I'm not sure if you picked up on him. You might not. No, not, I not didn't. Know what like no, no, no. He is in the throne. He's in the the throne room when we first get that kind of. We first see. Uh, Queen Amidala and he's like one of the kind of guys in the big hats just like one of the guards <laughs> standing against a pillar yeah that's that that's all we get of them what we like any thoughts on on Sophia Copeland in this film obviously it feels like a kind of futile question because she is yeah she is not really doing a lot I don't think she even says anything I think she just she just like sort of like looks down meekly in parts and sort of is in robes and that's really about it um, even Dominic West gets a quick, gets more of a, a yeah. more of a chance at doing stuff than she does at that point. Um, but no, that you just I, Roman, I didn't, definitely didn't see, but Sophia, I noticed. I was oh yeah, she is, but um, yeah, just I, I wouldn't say that she's gonna win any sort of awards <laughs> for a role in this movie. Um, I do, I do like the idea though. I do like extra. the idea that the Queen has. To have all these like women around her who look exactly like her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really fun idea, and like a fun play to not have the actual queen be the be the queen, and so she can go off on the adventure. But that that's not to compliment Sophia's performance. It's just like the basic idea of having a load of women around her that look yeah like her is a nice one. It's kind of like a well, there's, you, there's a great story. On you go, on you go. There's, there's a- there's a great story that Kira Knightley's mum came to set at one point and couldn't actually tell the difference between 
her own daughter and Natalie Portman when they were both made I mean, Kira sounds like Natalie in this. She does yeah. sound... Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a great stand-in. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if, like, they just ADR'd in Natalie Portman because famously uh, Darth Maul is, like, that is not the actor who is playing Darth Maul. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is not Ray Park's voice. That is the voice of uh, comedian actor Peter Serevenovich. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's to, who he's a... playing in this. Okay, because he came up on my um, letterbox. I, I'd seen him in, I think, five films this year because he's in like John Wick 2 and I think oh, yeah. I've watched another two or three films he's in. Um, I was like, well, who's in Star Wars? Maybe he's one of the aliens. I don't know. But then, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and he, he's gone on record to say like, he recorded a lot more like dialogue for for Darth Maul. And I think famously, like there is a whole speech he has in the trailer for this film that doesn't even make it to the screen. And Jake Lloyd went on record saying that a select few people or like the handful, maybe multiple handfuls, maybe a whole, I don't know, a whole dozen handfuls of people got to see an original six hour cut of this film. Which has been quoted as being mind-bogglingly good. Okay. Whereas, he, and it, <laughs> now, as much as this movie is a bit of a chore, I would like to watch that, and I could probably like quite happily watch that. In the days of the Snyder Cut, I think it would be quite good to see that. That must exist somewhere in some form. They they can bring it to Blu-ray or something. That's just something like you want to watch this multi-disc episode one, Phantom Menace special edition. Yeah, well, there's and there's 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 a famous like it's called the Phantom Edit as well. Like people have tightened up this film online, and George Lucas requested to see a copy of it. We can only speculate that he probably went, "Oh fuck, (laughs) they did a good job." And very promptly afterwards, Lucasfilm put out a statement saying, like, fans should not mess with with the property of Lucasfilm. So uh, I I think that rings to me as George Lucas going, shit, this fan edit is better than the (laughs) film I put out. And I imagine, imagine, yeah, with that six-hour cut, there is probably, with the stuff that is used in this and the myriad of material that isn't used, there is a decent film to be had like a lot like a lot of films right it's like i think i think famously well for me a kind of recent one is the the director's cut of rocky as opposed to the theatrical cut uh no rocky four should i say like there is a there is a great film somewhere in between those films as opposed to either one of those those cuts they kind of both work in their own way but yeah uh there's a, yeah the the best cut of that film does currently does not exist unless somebody has had a great uh, idea and edited them together. Hopefully we get the Rocky fan, Rocky Four fan cut. Um, I've got a couple of questions, kind of Cage and Copla related, that I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, first of all, being which would which role in this film would you swap out and give to Nicolas Cage, Larry? Or, or who are you thinking? Mm. Mine's was quite hard to think about because <laughs> I actually was like, well, it would have been a bit more interesting to have those trade viceroys all be voiced by Nicolas Cage. 
But then I thought, oh, yeah. an interesting thing would be just to have all the joys voiced by Nicolas Cage <laughs> and give him some sort of like unique, almost like a, because they do have a little bit of a personality at one point. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'd like to have the robots still with sort of, sort of robotic effect onto it, but I can just, I could just thought that'd be quite funny. I was kind of a, kind of a little chuckle oh. to myself, but thinking about yeah. those, those voice, those little kind of wee sort of pencil head droids having Nicholas Cage's voice. I thought that'd be quite funny. What about yourself? <laughs> that would be great. Imagine like, oh, you're under arrest. Like, what about you, Russell? Is there, is there, is there, who, who would you swap out for Nicholas Cage in this film? I think it'd be fun if he was Qui-Con Jinn, I'll be honest with you. I think it'd be really fun as Qui-Con Jinn. Um, I think I think Liam Neeson's pretty good in this, but also I think having Cage in that role and that kind of like quality he'd give to it, mm. bit, I guess it doesn't fit where he was at that point. I kind of want Nicolas Cage now, because I think Nicolas Cage now kind of fits being a more mentory figure, but then he can't be Obi-Wan because we have a clearly defined where Obi-Wan goes to and it's not where Nicolas Cage is going to go to. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go Qui-Gon or like something like a size of like a Terrence Stamp style role, like a more small role. And it's just like he's there for two scenes. Maybe we could have him on the Jedi Council as as one of the Jedis and give him a line there. But the most substantial role I would give him is Qui-Gon Jinn. Nice, nice. I'll give him the voice of, I don't know, get, give, 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 just get rid of some of the racism in this. <laughs> Give him the voice of Watto. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll have him doing Watto instead, just in, as Nicolas Cage. Just this kind of like, I could I could see him. He, he's pretty great in a kind of unhinged villain turn when he gets to do them. So kind of this villainous slave uh, driver mm. who's like, <laughs> you know, he, he, he could, yeah, I could, I could picture him just giving Jake Lloyd a hard time. That, 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 that would have been fun. Um, <laughs> Next being, and this is kind of like a, a Star Wars general question, is which Coppola, obviously we've got a few directors in the in the family, who would you like to see tackle a Star Wars story? What, what, who, who, who would you like to see, yeah, direct a Star Wars film, Larry? I would, if you got the chance, obviously we got those other films, Empire and Return of the Jedi, directed by other directors, George Lucas, so I think give it to his pal, give it to Francis, I think. Make a bit more, like, gritty and make 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 Apocalypse now, but Star Wars this time. It's very harrowing it's and true. very, like, or very sprawling and beautiful as, as you know, The Godfather is as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Francis would be a good bet. And I think I think George would be quite comfortable giving it to him as well. Well, I, I think, and th- th- this, this is going to ruin... Uh, my answer to a question further on down the line but i think francis could have directed this like especially in the way that you mentioned the godfather Mm. that is a film that is predominantly men talking in rooms (laughs) but he manages to kind of through kind of cinematic language and i don't know a good a good kind of like script and i imagine like francis would have really worked hard and maybe, maybe i don't know maybe yeah maybe pulled in someone else to help him along the way like he did with mario puzo on that but makes makes those those men talking in rooms quite interesting yeah. and like palatable for an audience um yeah i don't know i would love to see sophia kind of like direct a, a girl's all i don't know yeah a kind of a, yeah a very feminine tale mm-hmm. 
within or, or just have do you know what I mean? Like we're, we're seeing, we see all these announcements time and time again of uh, directors being given the the will to the to something within the Star Wars universe and then snatched away. Right, but Ryan Johnson was supposed to have his own trilogy of films. Yeah. That's that's fallen by the wayside. Taika Waititi of... is apparently working on a film still. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, Sophia is my answer because my I guess the biggest critique I can have of Star Wars broadly outside of individual films is that most of the films are relatively the same story of an epic good versus evil narrative whereas you kind of like the reason i like the mandalorian first two seasons i haven't watched the third one but is because they're like a slightly different story it's like a a a lone wolf and a boy a samurai and a boy and that's what that is and I, i would love to see what sophia would do if given the the freedom to do it like i'm not sure that they'll never do it they they're they're famously reticent to give away too much control of what star wars is um but yeah i think sophia would be a good fit plus she has the kind of prowess and she has like that kind of clout now to just be like no this is the film i'm making like aren't you yeah and she would make something small and personal in the way that kind of like they've let Dan Gilroy kind of tell the story he wants to tell with Andor. Mm. I guess that comes off the back of basically saving Rogue One. But it seems, yeah, it seems, and it seems to be they have a problem with female creatives within the kind of Star Wars uh, universe. In the fact, like, what? Patty Jenkins kind of Wonder Woman 84 kind of didn't do that well. And like her film Rogue Squadron has kind of just been. Killed. Rushed to the side, yeah, yeah, just absolutely like dead. Like and that's what I mean. They're giving, they're still pushing forward with this Taika Waititi film, which I think, like, why? Oh, do you know what I mean? Like, he kind of he makes got given the keys to. Yeah, <laughs> I got, don't think got, I want to Taika Waititi Star Wars because I you can get you can get lost in in the the odd people in Star Wars, yeah. and I fear he'll get lost in like. All the aliens and all the kind, and whichever one will be voiced by him will have a really prominent role when they don't need a prominent role, and it just makes me nervous. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think personally for me, as being a fan of of the sort of uh, non-films and the books and so forth, I, when they're talking about Scroll Squadron being a film, I was the most excited by that because when I read the books, I was always very, very interested in that side of Star Wars stuff, like Wedge been off from being like sort of the main character of like his own story with like his own sort of crew um so to see kind of wedge antilles and in, in a film would be amazing and i think you, you, we got that a little bit in rise of skywalker it turns out very very kind of quickly um as a sort of brief cameo which is which i've completely marked out for but yeah i was kind of sad that she doesn't get to do that and hope that somebody does that because there's a lot of good stories with rogue squadron they can do and really exciting because those you know if one of the big things about those star wars films is how cool those those dogfight scenes are and make a film with that it would be amazing Mm -hmm. yeah they seem to be i don't know focusing on stuff and kind of i i I don't know how you feel about it but like stuff like obi-wan kenobi i'm not really that interested in these kind of in-between tales because it's like 
the jeopardy and stuff like that is taken mm. away, right? And it's kind of like, we know where the end point of this, and I guess why it's like the prequel trilogy kind of feels slightly redundant. I remember like feeling it at the time, and I remember, I remember like as a like really precocious young teenager, but a bit of a dickhead as well, just like really thinking as well, just this doesn't make sense to me because the technology seems so much better in the prequel trilogies than it does. And obviously that is like from, from the times that the films were made, obviously, yeah, we have these pencil head droids in the, in the original trilogy that just don't, in the, in the, in the prequel trilogy that just like, again, uh, just disappear throughout the time. Like, well, I mean, it's like, um, of- if you compare like alien to Prometheus, like Prometheus is meant to be set like, about a century yes. before Alien, and their ship is vastly better than one in Alien. Yes, I understand Alien that they're meant to be basically space truckers, but still, I, I never quite understand why when you're making a prequel, you're like, ah, now it's all snazzy and looks beautiful. And it's like, no, no, just take Alien, yeah. track it back, have almost the exact same technology, but not as good. And that'll be interesting. If you did a retro futurist take on it, it would yes. be exciting. Like if they did with this, like, the droids are not as good as they are here. Like those like bull things are very cool, but it's like, yeah, but they, we never see them again. We got then they're nowhere. They're all destroyed. Yeah, it makes it makes it makes no sense, right? Um, so yeah, move, move. Another question I have here on, on the list is which which of the the, the movie brats? So that 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 that, that kind of I've, I've truncated it here. Like the other ones, including uh, George Lucas, would be. Steven Spielberg, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese. Who would you have preferred of those names to have directed Phantom Menace? Let's start with you, Russell. It has to be Spielberg because Lucas and Spielberg have a partnership that paid dividends with Indiana Jones. I, I think that uh, I think Spielberg is a phenomenal director, but he's also very capable of almost uh, removing some of his personality from some films and like allowing like other aspects of creatives he's working with. So like in Minority Report or in War of the Worlds, he allowed those kind of sci-fi writers' voices to become slightly more prominent. Obviously there's Tintin, which is this really effective, in spite of being terrifying technology, because that's what motion capture is, this really effective adaptation of that series. And so I think uh, of of those directors, the one who's got probably the least person, the least like... um, not personality, least uh, ego, is going to be Spielberg. In spite of Spielberg being this colossus in directing, I think he'd be the one who could come in and take this and shape it into something and be able to say to George, no, this doesn't quite work or like this isn't, isn't effective. And we need a director who can work with young a young cast and Spielberg mm-hmm. has proven that many times. And uh, Spielberg is... is the most capable of his directors to not get lost in the technology, like because he, he obviously made Jurassic Park, and and Jurassic Park is a is a towering achievement in technology. But I mean, it's my favorite film. I'm currently wearing a Jurassic Park T-shirt, so this is my answer. Is I've got a Jurassic Park T-shirt. <laughs> on. Um, yeah, I, I just think of of those directors and of the where they are at this point in their career. So like Spielberg is still a huge force in the '90s. I mean, he's never not really been a massive directing force. And so yeah, I think where Spielberg is what he brings to the film, having worked with Lucas before, having just being Lucas's closest friend helps entirely. Like Spielberg has always been Lucas's greatest cheerleader. So yeah, I would have had Spielberg come in 
and maybe have George Lucas just be a story and a producer, like do, create the story and then be a producer. And I think that would have worked better for this film. Yeah, it's just hubris, right? Getting it, getting, getting. It's like it's my story. I need to tell it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> what it's about baby. you, Larry? I, I don't think I can put it any better than Russell just did. Yeah, it's Spielberg for me as well. I think he's just he's very very adept to making great sort of kids movies and bringing sort of like when I've look at the look at the, those films and then a Jones or look at E.T. They're just amazing sort of childlike nostalgic films that just have a sort of mm-hmm. sense of wonder about them and I think that he's just very capable of doing that as Russell said he just and also again as I say you think as we spoke about with, with Francis as well I think that George would maybe still have a little bit of hubris but a little bit more like be open to it because they're such kind of you know so supportive of each other, especially like big, mm-hmm. I'll say when I think I think I was I don't know if it was if the other way or other way around, but when Jaws came out or when Star Wars came out, I think Spielberg congratulated um George on Star Wars and stuff like that, or maybe the other way around. I think maybe, but they always seem quite very pally and very like open to each other. So maybe if anybody's going to try and calm his calm uh, George's ego a bit and like maybe make him a bit more focused that's going to be Spielberg yeah. and I think that that'd be amazing I would I would even now I think that give him something like give him some part of it that would be you know give, even give him like some episodes of Mandalorian give him like I can't I can't imagine like I'd just love to see a Spielberg film now with the amount of free reign they have with Star Wars to just go like right I'm giving you just give you the reins give you one chance to make well, it they've... and then go for it they're basically kind of, I guess, James Mangold is kind of trying to step into the yeah. shoes, like with directing the next Indiana Jones, and kind of seems to be trying to step into those Spielberg shoes, right? Of like kind of coming in with this big IP and like I don't know, telling these kind of personal and like kind of big stories at the same time. And yeah, he's he he's getting to direct a Star Wars film, right? That's going to be set like I think three million years before Episode yeah. One or something. Like always a twenty-five thousand. Basically, it's set at the start. It's set right at the beginning with the birth of the Force. Yeah. Um, so like, well, it means if we see it, like every announcement, I'm like, yeah. well, that sounds fun, but I won't believe it exists till I'm sat in the cinema and you've done the whole uh, big. But, and as long as it, when it starts with that, I'll believe it exists. Before that point, <laughs> don't believe it exists for Star Wars because, yeah, yeah there's got to be about 15 films by now they've announced. There'll be an amazing book you could do of all the Star Wars films that have never been made, like, yeah, of all the different it, paths it could have taken, even before uh, Disney board, like, with, like, Lucas's, like, planned sequel trilogy or, like, the the stuff, like, the the in between the prequels and the, the originals and the prequels, there were films mooted, all this stuff, like, yeah. It'd be if, a great book. If there is, it like, all I hope for James Mangold's film is all it has is the opening line of the the the, the, the opening crawl, like in a galaxy far, far, like a long time ago, far, far yeah. away. That's it, dot, dot, dot. And here's the film. Because I will be frustrated if this is like the, 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 the big bang of the force. 
don't give me a fucking don't give me backstory to the to the beginning all right like this film does don't give me like a setup to the to, to to episode one episode one should be this is the pilot we know what's going on do you know what i mean like speaking of spielberg you watch the you watch the uh, the first ever episode of Columbo. You get that you get the deal. You're not just thrown in at the deep end. You 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 know what the setup is. This you kind of you're thrown into it. Yeah. And I feel yeah, I feel to like directors, the Palmer was never going to be handed the keys to Star Wars because he is he is one who was famously when saw like a rough cut of the film just basically laughed in George Lucas's face. Uh, <laughs> um, Francis Ford Coppola like famously gave George Lucas his start in in film like he he, he met him on the Warner Brothers backlot uh when George Lucas like won a competition at U- UCLA and he's like oh here's here's another guy who isn't over the age of 50 I'll chat to this guy and took him like was basically like oh I'm making a movie I've been stealing a load of film whilst I've been <laughs> directing films for warner brothers i'm making this movie where i'm driving across uh the united states called the rain people do you want to come and like film a making of documentary and then there's an amazing picture i'm not sure if you guys have seen it or you listening at home of george lucas and francis ford coppola with r2d2 and they both look like proud parents it looks like a family photo and I absolutely love it. Like, uh, so yeah, like Francis, I, I, I don't want to see him do it now because uh, I, I, I want to see him make whatever batshit craziness he wants to make because <laughs> we're probably going to see with Megaropolis. Uh, I don't want to see him, yeah, bogged down in, 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 the, in, in the Star Wars. You don't world. want him to have um, studio notes. No studio notes. No, on his own money. I, I want his life and his, yeah, his, yeah. his family's inheritance put on the line if he's making a film. Not, <laughs> not, not, not a blank check from Disney. Uh, um, so, if you could cast any Coppola in a Star Wars film, who would it be? And any thoughts of who their character would be? It could be an existing character. Or it could be like a kind of an archetype within in the Star Wars uh, realm. Larry, who, who who have you got in mind? Well, I would like to have Jason Schwartzman. In, in a movie, oh. I think it would be a really good addition. Because he can sort of play sort of that sort of serious looking guy, but also like very comedic and very good kind of timing. Um, so I think he would be pretty good. And I, I would like him as some sort of like, I don't know, some sort of like um, general in, in the rebellion army or maybe maybe some sort of like exiled ex-Jedi, field Jedi kind of thing. Just sort of down Amazing. his luck. A little bit of a, 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 a shyster. Yes, I have a bit of that. What about you, Russell? Who 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 would you cast in in the Star Wars universe? Uh, I'll cast Cage, and I'll cast him as a smuggler. I think he should be like, who is it? Who is the actor in the Last Jedi that they went and met? Um, Benicio del Toro. Yeah, that kind of role of like this like smuggler they meet, sort of like an hour in, and it's Nicholas Cage, and he like steals twenty minutes of the film. And then leaves. And we get very little of his story. We just get him swaggering in as a smuggler, helping our heroes for a singular portion of their story, and then leaving. Kind of like um, 
the chap from Bridgerton in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if you've seen either of it, but he pops in for like 30 minutes of Dungeons and Dragons, steals that 30 minutes. I think my partner told me three or four <coughs> times how attractive he was in that 30 <laughs> minutes. It was very comforting for me. But yeah, Nicolas Cage should do that. Like just because it's Nicolas Cage, I don't think he needs to be the lead in any of these stories. It can just be yeah. he is on this particular planet. They've got to find him. And it's kind of like, he's like almost like um, the Harry Lime effect where like, He's talked about, he's talked about, he's talked about, he's talked about for an hour and then boom, it's Nicolas Cage. And maybe it's not even told beforehand that we're going to get Nicolas Cage in a Star Wars. And there he is being a smuggler, helping them get a particular item to help them get further along on their adventure. And then he leaves and we never see him again. We never see yeah. uh, Cage again in these films. I like I, I like both of those ideas. I really like the idea of Jason Schwartzman. Like, I'd love to see him in this Mangold project as like one of the early Jedi's who's probably a bit cocky. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because he can kind of he, he gets away with being lovable and also like a bit of a shit. Mm. Like even as far back as Rushmore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It's like we, we almost like love him, but also we want to want to grab him by the like grab him in a headlock and give him a noogie. Like that's the kind of vibe Jason Schwartzman has, and I think he'd. Him bringing that to, to Star Wars would be great. And yeah, and Cage. Cage would be great, yeah. right? Yeah, Cage could have easily have just done that role in The Last Jedi as well. Like him him kind of being this kind of, I don't know, playboy almost. Almost like this Nicolas Cage persona character like that they have to encounter who's like, yeah, as you said, he's not he's he's helping them, but he's not really pushing the plot forward massively. It's kind of he's almost like a a side quest giver in a game kind of thing yeah. like that yeah that, that, that would be great a peppering <laughs> as opposed to as opposed to um the, the 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 full dinner um any other points that we've missed about about this film that we really should talk about as we start to wrap things up guys russell is there any any burning things on your notes that we haven't got to uh i mean we should mention uh that the score here is incredible as you would expect yes that it does so much work is done with the score and and a general point, I do think the look and feel of this film is is brilliant. And I I quite, I haven't watched this film for several years because I, I tried to watch um, Revenge of the Sith last year because my siblings were like, we watched that one, it's good. They're younger than me and this is their Star Wars. My Star Wars is the originals, it turns out. But yeah, I did enjoy going back to this, but I just thought the acting was was just... It hurt me a bit, the acting. The acting was a bit like hurting my teeth when I was watching it. Um. But yeah, like, I think the look and feel of this is wonderful. I think the world created is wonderful. I just wish the acting wasn't some of the worst acting I've seen this year in a film. So uh, yeah, and I should say Darth Maul is really fucking cool, but does so little in this film. Like, yeah, I, like, I still have somewhere like a CD case, a CD holder with his face on it. Like I got when it first came out and I've kept it. I still think Darth Maul is really cool, yeah. but also like, not used in the slightest and killed off. Like he has like, I think two or three scenes, maybe two, no, it's three scenes and that's it. And like, yeah, he, yeah, he could have at least like, obviously they, they would have had to have dispatched him in this trilogy, but it feels like a waste for him to go out in, in yeah. this one. Right. I mean, they, of... they do it in all the, all the prequels have like a different villain because you can't have a villain that's as exciting as Darth Vader, it turns out, because yeah. oh, we have this, then we have like uh, Christopher Lee's Count Dooku in the second, and then we have General Grievous in the third yeah. one. It's always like, well, if you just had one villain throughout and then Darth Vader kills that villain, and I was like, ah, Darth Vader has taken over from this villain that is has been our dominant force for three films. This is exciting. Yeah. yeah. 
and I, I understand I shouldn't give like notes to George Lucas because this <laughs> is his baby. This is what he wants to make. But yeah, the acting here is terrible. The acting here is <laughs> is unmitigatingly bad. And I, I'm going to watch them all again, but yeah. I have to hope it gets better. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think I, I think I, I'm on the slow road now to watching uh, clone. Yeah, the clone, clone, clone wars. Attack of the clones. Yeah, clone wars is yeah, a TV then, show, and they also and, the, and then Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah, my fond memories of Revenge of the Sith again are playing the PlayStation Two <laughs> game. Like, like that's the thing. I think I think this 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 prequel trilogy. It's the tertiary stuff around it that I'm more more into than the films themselves. Larry, anything else that we've failed to mention that we should we should uh, and and just some closing thoughts on the film? Yeah, I mean, it's as much as we've we've kind of shit on a little bit. It's still it's still a fun bit and it's still fun there. I mean. Those lightsaber fights are amazing. The, the, the last one especially is like... Watching it last night was just, again, how well it's made. And obviously, coming from my podcast, it's all about like action movies and Ray Park, a kind of very accomplished stuntman and martial artist. It's very... He's so really impressive in this movie. Like, I know obviously, obviously it doesn't happen to any lines. He's ADR'd by somebody else. Um, but he's he's really amazing in this movie, and I think he's like like they could have really fanosed him throughout the trilogy and made him a bit more of a an opposing force and a, a bit more interesting. Like gets away at the end. No, he kills Qui Gon and a Sith gone gets, rogue. Like, that last, would be great. The last like last moment he gets for his obviously that part, and, and if anybody hasn't seen it, is Obi Wan's kind of stuck within a sort of a sort of like force field sort of thing. Tunnel, the tunnel and yeah. um, sees obviously Qui Gon getting killed, and if he just got, he just got ran away at that point, and, got, and when he got through the force field, and then that's the chase is on to try and get him and get a little bit of revenge, but also not really have revenge because Jedi's don't really do that, but he does want to kind of avenge his master, and then the sec, even in the second one, you have this big sort of like showdown. Um, that would have been really cool, like just at least like right, finally they're gonna get to go toe to toe, one on one. That'd have been really cool. They really could have. They really could have had their cake and yep. eat it as well. Of like, being able to just, even just, Darth Maul. They could have had this whole trilogy that by the end of it, like we don't really know the fate of Darth Maul. What happened to him? And then he could have just like that. That's it. And I guess they 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 had written themselves in a corner in the fact it's a prequel trilogy. Yep. So like, a lot of these characters have to just not exist mm. anymore. But imagine, imagine the absolute like kind of marrying of the fans of the original trilogy and prequel fan trilogy. Like, yeah, the fans of both of those. If in this like sequel trilogy, Darth Maul turned up, I think people would have been a lot more excited about yeah. that in a weird way than they would have having general palpatine turn out to be the big bad at the end do you know what i mean like, yeah I think, and i think they've done it slightly bit because they, they do have darth maul come back in the clone wars and rebels i think um uh-huh. and he's got and he legs pops up in solo yes in it so it's it's really interesting to have him like come back but yeah like, i definitely agree with what you're saying it could have been a kind of neat, neat neat branch like never really have him killed but this have him sort of as being this underlying villain even though it's palpatine but happy his kind of right hand man i sort of darth Vader sort of becomes so i think they really needed to 
they obviously had a certain idea of like we're going to make it we're making a Darth Darth Vader um, origin story, so we need to make sure that you know his apprentice dies in order to get Darth put in that place, basically. But um, yeah, I'd like I'd like to see him come back again. Like I, I think those race of I think yeah, I think it's from Daphomir, which is actually in the games now. Um, I'd like to see more of that come back and what more of those that that lore explode a little bit more interestingly but um yeah it's and also we didn't we didn't mention is that it's not alluded to it's been very very put across the the bow that um anakin has been immaculately concepted or made by medical yes he's never really she's like because i think um his mum goes oh i never he never has a father like there was no one i just i just gave birth to him and i took him to pregnancy and that was it and here he was. I'm like, what? It's like a very strange sort of like. It's it's not talked about after that. You're like, that's it. Just like brushed away. But you go, no, 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 no. Let's go back to that. You, so you're saying, so yeah, he's I'm, Jesus? I'm, Is that what you're saying? Like he's space Jesus, space yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. vibes. But yeah, you, he's evil, evil Jesus. Jesus. Evil Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's cool, <laughs> Jesus. He's, what if Jesus was cool and killed people? <laughs> well yeah I, like the part of me was like thinking you could just explain that away of like well there was no father in the fact that like he kind of hit it and quit it. yeah yeah you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, i think <laughs> you know what I mean? he's like quite he's father, like, he's like, to speak. like yeah 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 exactly it was, it was he was more of a donor yeah kind of looks he look he look he looks Strikingly familiar to you, Qui Gon Jinn. <laughs> just, just, uh, uh, just, just, just younger. Well, as a, as a young Jedi, just making my way about the galaxy, slinging my lightsaber, which wherever it have me. Yeah. That's, that's that's that that that's canon to me. It, I think you're making Star Wars quite... sexier than it is. I don't think Star Wars yeah. is, is is a sexy universe. Yeah, and the thing is, Star Wars inherently feels very sexless. Do you know I mean? Even with Harrison Ford there, who's like one of the sexiest men on the planet, like, yeah, it's still not very sexy. Yeah, yeah. Well, before before we start writing sexy fan fiction for, <laughs> for Star Wars, which I don't think anyone wants, especially especially not. I think me. all the fans are demanding uh, it, yeah. I'll be honest. Well, yeah, there's a gap in the market. I'm, I'm sure it's out I'm there. I'm sure there's a lot of I'm horny sure. Star Wars out there. Oh, definitely. Um, Almost yeah, definitely. There is, we could pick is, this yeah. rock up and pick out, I don't know, some stuff we don't want to <sighs> talk about. No, definitely. Yeah, exactly. This is a Pandora's box. Let's leave that there. Um, <laughs> so, as as we always do on this podcast, I always ask my guests, did you manage to find any Copla connections within this film? Is there anyone who's on screen or behind the scenes who's worked with the Coppola family elsewhere. We'll kind of go round the table if people have got them. I'll start with you, Russell. Did you manage to find any? Uh, not that I looked too hard at, I'll be honest. Uh, wait, hold on. Is Liam Neeson in a Wes Anderson? No. No Neeson no. in a in an He Anderson. should be. No, he no, no. Fit, a, fit one very well. You know, I not that I found any, but maybe maybe others have found it. Sorry. Larry, what have you got for us? I'm going to do a sort of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There's always it's, one. Right. So here we go. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to do two. I'm going to give you two coplas, and I'm going to bring it to Star Wars in the middle of it. Right. Here we go. Right. right. So Celia Celia Emery, she plays uh, a Naboo fighter pilot, who in Episode One 
Um, she plays Connor McLeod's first love interest in Highlander. Highlander's got Sean uh-huh. Connery. Sean Connery was in The Rock with Nicolas Cage. Right? Okay, yeah. I'm going to go further with this, right? So, Sean Connery was in a film called Family Business uh, with Matthew Broderick, who was in Lady Hawk with Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer was in Blade Runner with Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was in Star Wars. Right? He would go back. This yep. is a bonus couple for you. <laughs> so, Harrison Ford was in Apocalypse Now, which is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Ah, love it. Love it. Right. I'll go through the literal connections we've got here. So, Ewan McGregor is in Nightwatch alongside Patricia Arquette, who at the time was married to Nicolas Cage and is in a season of Fargo, which Jason Schwartzman is also in a season of Fargo, yet they're not in the same season, yeah, yeah, they're in yeah. the same universe. So we'll have that. George Lucas, there's some big connections, as I mentioned earlier, with him and Francis. Um, him and Francis Ford Coppola are both executive producers on the international version of Akira Kurosawa's Kagemushka. Um, they're also executive producers on Mishima, uh, the Paul Schrader film, and George Lucas was an executive producer on Captain EO, a short film which is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. He also directed a 32-minute uh, documentary called Filmmaker, which charts the making of The Rain People, the Francis Ford Coppola film, and Francis Ford Coppola is a producer on both American Graffiti and THX 1138, the first two films that um, George Lucas directed. Natalie Portman is in both the Darjeeling Limited and the accompanying short Hotel Chevalier, which stars Jason Schwartzman and is co-written by Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola. Terence Stamp, a big old big one for the stamp heads out there, is in Big Eyes playing a uh, art critic, which has a small uh, yeah performance from Jason Schwartzman, who turns up as a rival like art dealer in uh, San Francisco. So there, there some of the ones I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes people who have worked on stuff, but there's only so many hours in the day, and I can't spend it all trawling through IMDb. So, guys, let's rate this film. And the way that we do that on this podcast is we talk about wine. What would be the perfect wine pairing for Star Wars Episode One? Russell, what wine are we going for? Nice red, nice earthy red, I think. Um, maybe a Tesco's mid-budget red. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what name, what kind of brand I'd go. Maybe... Is a Merlot red? I'm not a wine guy. Is yes, yeah, Merlot. Let's go is a red. Merlot. Yeah, we'll go. Tesco is sort of maybe twelve pounds. Twelve pounds. So, you, you, yeah, you, you, you've go well, Larry. What about yourself? What, what, what wine are we pairing with Star Wars Episode One? Well, I'm not a very versed in wine. I don't. I'm not a drinker. So, but if I really had to encapsulate Episode One as a wine, I'd probably say like. A rosy, and I would probably say like some like a, like a Weatherspoon's Echo Falls. 
uh, I would say something like that. Just okay. sort of like, just it's, it's wine. It has all the sort of hallmarks of wine. And, and you, you'd realize you drink it, you go, oh, this is wine, but it's maybe not as full bodied as an expensive Rioja or a Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, eh, well, it's getting me drunk and it's doing, doing what I need it to do. And that's episode one in the whole, basically. Well, I, I think it's alcohol-free wine in the fact that, like, like you said, it's kind of, it's got the notes of, like, oh, this is something I recognise as being wine. <laughs> like, this is, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, the packaging for this says wine. Yeah. And then you go, it's not got that, it's not got that juice to get me excited mm. as as wine does. It's not, it's not going to get me fizzy and a bit silly in the head. Like maybe the pre, like maybe the original trilogy does. It's kind of, do you know what I mean? Like the flavors there, but it's not really hitting the spot. And I think that 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 is a summation maybe of the prequel trilogy. Is it's kind of like it's got all the dressing. Do you know what I mean? It's it's got the Star Wars logo, but. It's not what we really remember. Is it? It's kind of it's, a, it's it's not. So let let let's talk about yeah how how this is priced and, and this is basically a sliding scale of whether this film is any good. Is this bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf? I'll start with you this time, Larry. Is this is this a is this a top shelf, bottom shelf, or middle shelf wine? Okay, film any good? I would I probably go middle shelf because I don't I don't hate it. It's, it's there and I get enjoyment from it. So, yeah, I would say I would say the middle shelf. What about yourself, Russell? Yeah, it's middle. There's worse Star Wars than this. There's better Star Wars than this. Like, and like, I favor me like bottom shelf would be like sub Star Wars ripoffs. Like, because there's a whole market out there of Star Wars ripoffs. This at least has like the quality of a middle shelf wine, and that in it has the correct like ingredients it doesn't have any kind of like anything we added to it to make it like wine it is wine it's just you know i if you were to pick a wine you would go for the top shelf and i don't think i'm gonna go back to this film for a while is the thing like Mm -hmm. i've watched it now i haven't watched it for about six or seven years i'm not sure when i'll watch it again like maybe when i show it to my kids but i'm not gonna be cruel like you and show them this first because I want them to like Star Wars, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, if the, yeah, I think if this was at a wine tasting and they said to me, like, I, I, I would famously, I reckon if it was a, a, I say famously, but if I was the type of man I am, if I was at a wine tasting and they're like, oh, yeah, you've got to spit it out now. If I enjoyed it, I'd swallow it, right? Uh, whereas this one, I think I would definitely be spitting it out. <laughs> okay. Like, like, uh, but, 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 like, I don't know. It's mid, yeah, it's middle shelf, I think. I think, like, it could have been a lot worse, right? It's kind of had a lot going against it in the fact it had so much fan anticipation, had a lot to live up to, and I guess is very indicative of the whole kind of Star Wars state of affairs in general, right? There is so much kind of, you're never going to please everyone. I don't even think the fans know what they really want. No. Do you know what I mean? No, like, and they, like... They want something... They want something different, yet they want something wholly the same at the same time. The fans hated Empire Strikes Back when it first arrived because it was something different. And now it's like seen by most as the best Star Wars. Like, I think you need to say fuck the fans and just do what you want. And yeah, 
they'll either come with you or they won't. And they will probably come with you because like the world of Star Wars is such an evocative world that no matter what you do to it, it's still Star Wars. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So based on this film and the Coppola's the greatest film family of all time, Russell. Not based on this film, no. Not based on their two cameos in this. Um, maybe tangentially that they're linked because of Francis's, you know, long-standing friendship with George. Like that helps, but no, there's much better examples in the canon than this. What about you, Larry? Are you gonna you gonna you gonna swing for them or are you gonna leave them out to to dry on a on a dying planet? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that based on very muted, no line delivery performances, I don't think we can really, we're not going to get the scope of what of what they're capable of from this movie. So maybe okay. not in this one. Okay, well, in, in, in this case, the Coppola's are going the way of the Gungans. Extinct. <laughs> um, speaking of going the way of the Gungans, Let's start off with you here, Larry. Um, which Coppola family member would you keep, but in doing so, you get rid of, like the Gungans, the rest of the entire family? Well, I'm, I mean, the obvious answer is Cage, isn't it? I mean, the body of work yeah. it speaks for itself. But if, yep. again, if I, wa- if I was pressing, you couldn't, I couldn't pick Cage, because Cage is the obvious one. Then I'd have to go Jason Schwartzman. Speak from your heart, Larry. No, well, no, well yeah, speak from, I'll speak from my heart. Yeah, it's, it's Nicholas Cage, isn't it? It's, it has to be him. It's like he stands shoulders above everyone. He towers above everyone. He's as he should just be. He shouldn't own that name. That should be his name. <laughs> he should wear t-shirts and merch printed off of it, all of it. I think yeah, it's, it's Nicholas Cage. Is, is always going to be my, be my favorite and. I don't think I've, in all the films I've seen of him, I don't think he's, he's not impressed me once. I don't think he's ever like let me down. Not yet. Well, you, well, I've got some films to show you. <laughs> 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 um, Russell, what about yourself? Uh, I, I, do you know what? I should have checked what your answer was to this question before, but what, let, 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 let's kind of, I, I, I'll mention it in the wrap up. If it is the same, don't worry. I would, I would, future me would have figured this out. But yeah, is it? Is it? What, what, what would be your answer? Well, and now we're a toss up between Cage and Schwartzman because I think Schwartzman has the better roster of films. He he's less prolific and has worked with some incredible directors. But then if I don't pick Cage, I destroy Into the Spider Verse, which like mm. is one of the greatest animations ever made and has redefined what animation is. So it's like. You keep the sequel, though. Which would be weird. It'd be weird to approach in the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse or Into the Spider-Verse. I don't know. Um, I'm going to... I believe it was Schwartzman last time. I'll stick with Schwartzman this time because the body of work is so impressive. Like, all of his films are so impressive. Like, yeah, I'll go with Schwartzman because I have seen The Wicker Man, so I do know that Cage can star in not great films. So... <laughs> if I can get rid of that Wicker Man remake, maybe I'm doing the world a good. Okay, well, this is probably the most important question on the podcast, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue with you, Russell. What does Bill Murray say to Scott Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? I'm trying to make it a Star Warsy one. Maybe it's uh... now. This is pod. Now this is pod racing. 
as we said. <laughs> what about you, Larry? What's your what's your what's your, what's your answer to this uh, question? I'm going to go give him um, the biggest argument that's ever been made. I'm going to I'm going to have him whisper into Scarjo's ear that if you really think about it, Ghostbusters two isn't really that bad. <laughs> <laughs> on that note larry where can we find you online with everything you're doing with your move you can creep? find me i've just dropped an episode um at some point every every second and last tuesday of the month you can find me on twitter at your mc podcast and instagram at your mc podcast you can email me email the show at your move creep podcast at gmail.com uh, I'm also on Your Move Larry on Twitter. Um, you can't have my Instagram because it's just full of dog pictures and nobody needs to see that. Um, but yeah, so um, find Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, etc. Amazing. What about yourself, uh, Russell, and the amazing um, Not Just For Kids podcast? Where can we find you and all the things you're doing? Uh, yes, the podcast is wherever you listen to this. Um, we're currently doing modern animation films uh, You've just come on Petros to talk about Marcel, the Shell of Shoes and the Super Mario Brothers film, which is kind of just like a basic, amazing summation of where animation is. Um, I haven't told anyone this, but I'll tell it here now because when this goes out, I'll be just about to announce it. In this summer, I'm doing a Star Wars mini series, So I'm going to go... Because hey. it's, again, I, I think I've got an over Rise of Skywalker because before that point, I didn't quite know what to say about Star Wars because I just had the worst time with Rise of Skywalker. And now I'm like... I can talk about it again. So um, it's a bit like Simon Pegg in space, like th that whole like running joke in space of him just being devastated by a Star Wars film. Um, yeah, no, I, so we'll be doing that this summer in terms of my, in my social media presence, we are adults to pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and that's where I post various episodes. And my personal one is Russ Loves Movies on Twitter, whilst it's still not on fire or whilst the fire is contained, whatever they're doing on that. And I post any articles I write or any podcast appearances I pop up on. I have recently gone on, um, is Paul Dano okay? And we talked about, uh, to link it into Star Wars, an incest film. So there was that, that was fun. Um, and I've been on fundamentals talk about naughty dog the creatives of crash bandicoot and uh, the last of us and uncharted and i am soon an episode is going to drop of me on journey through sci-fi to talk about uh he-man and oh, what was it when we did it was he-man and transformers movie from the 80s yeah i pop up in a lot of places now i do a lot of stuff with moving pictures film club as well yeah i just seem to seem to be doing a lot of stuff right now it's it's fun it's fun i i I know, I know the feeling. Well, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And there we go. Hopefully you're still with us. Hopefully the Jar Jar Binks impression did not scare everybody off. Hopefully uh, people continue to listen to the podcast. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I will be frank with you. And there was part of me was like, uh, would people take offence to that? Hopefully you didn't. Men in jest, I'm taking the mickey out of the alien, the, uh, the, the, the creature, 
not the kind of racial implications that that character comes with. Um, hopefully that's all discussed in the episode. And yeah, uh, enough of that uh, before I dig myself into a hole of just worry and anxiety. Uh, a massive thank you for listening, especially if you've got this far. And a massive thank you once again to Russell and Larry for this fun, rambly conversation about all things Star Wars. Um, what is right with it? What is wrong with it? And everything in between. Uh, if you agreed with us, or if, even if you disagreed with us, please don't hesitate to reach out on all the socials and have a little carry on the conversation. Let, let us know what you think about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And you can do so on all of the social platforms. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and TikTok, all at Caged In Pod. Or you can drop me an email, which is Caged In Pod at gmail.com as for next week on the podcast i am joined by an absolute legend somebody if you are a fan of horror cinema or if you're just a fan of just kind of cinema in general and are aware of kind of uh british critics critiques crit critics is the word i'm looking for yeah i'm joined by the legend kim newman uh, i sat down with him and talked all things nicholas cage dracula and the coppola's fascination with that fanged character as we kind of yeah uh, discuss renfield as well as all of those topics i've just mentioned there it was a lot of fun and it was an absolute pleasure to have kim on the podcast so do stick around for next week to check that out if you haven't already head on over to youtube you all you have to do is type in caged in tv or i think it's youtube forward slash caged in pod uh, and subscribe to our channel there's some fun stuff up there you can see some video interviews whether it's my interview with nicholas holt or um tom etton and no kevin etton and tom gormican all about the unbearable weight of massive talent and there are fun stuff in the works that will be kind of not just repackaged content from the podcast. It will be all brand new content exclusively for YouTube. Or uh, you can head on over to Patreon where I will be um, putting up some of that YouTube content before I go out. And you may be able to have a say. Well, yeah, no, you will be able to have a say into kind of the uh, direction in which that youtube content takes because uh, i like to think of the uh, the youtube i like to think of the patreon as much as a, like a kind of community and a springboard for ideas as much as kind of just a place where people can give me money for bonus content i like to feel more so than just being a listener of this podcast we could be even more of a community there's no kind of oh you're not gonna miss a post because it's on a social and it gets lost in the algorithm we're all there for the same goal whether it's the kind of love of nicholas cage or the coppola family or any kind of whim that i decide to take on 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 that there so yeah do head on over to patreon um 
please, please support the podcast if you can. If you can't, that is absolutely fine. Um, if you'd like to have something tangible that you can hold, that you can wear whilst supporting the podcast, you can head on over to Etsy. Uh, all you have to do is type in Caged in Pod. I think it's uh, cagedinpod.etsy.com and you'll be able to find uh, yeah a couple of great designs by the great artist Tim Sinclair or uh, especially more so for US listeners because I think the shipping works out differently. Head on over to Tee Public, where you've got five different designs that you can kind of get on a whole array of different things. So that's T-shirts, hoodies, uh, masks, whatever it is kind of. And some a lot of that is like kind of curated a bit more than uh, a lot of stuff on Tee Public. No, not a lot of stuff, but like I kind of ditched off any colors that none of the the, the designs don't work on because i kind of want it to want it to work i don't want it to as a, yeah there's part of me it's like i don't want this being printed on something where it doesn't quite work the colors don't match so yeah i've, I've, I've put some care and attention as much as i can do on that stuff um or if you'd like to support the podcast um don't want to give me any money don't want to buy anything and that is absolutely fine you can head on over to apple podcast spotify wherever you are listening to this right now and leave a five star rating and review i know every podcast says this but they really do help to kind of push push us out to to the right places to different people to more people um so yeah head on over there and as always remember to let me know what scarlett johansson has whispered in her ear by bill murray at the end of lost in translation and any any answers i get i'll be reading them out on on the podcast i'll be carving out a little kind of section in each of the episodes to read them out i'm just gonna just dump them at the end they're gonna be kind of pe- they're gonna be peppered in there they might be even at the start because I I, I I i got a lot of time for you guys and i very much appreciate it so yeah do that be nice so as always, guys, I've been Petrus Patsidavis, your guide through the crazy world of the Copeland family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.